0: At the S&P, the ASX stops This is Motley Fool Money Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is thankfully keeping its job I'm Scott Phillips and with me, as always, the doctor is in the house, Dr Anirban Mahanti How are you, Doc? Good, Captain. How are you? Mate, I am spectacularly well. The weather is cool outside, but the skies are blue, the sun's out uh, And this has been a good week so far. Touch wood, touch wood on the ASX it's been a very good week. It has. We'll talk about that in a minute. Mate, we got a lot on the docket. It's kind of a it's been a really big week where not much has happened, which sounds strange, but we'll get into that a little bit. Some big macro news and a bit that frankly we won't know until after we've recorded this podcast. So we'll we'll predict a little bit and try and imagine what the future might look like. We'll talk about JobKeeper and Job Seeker. We'll talk about the biggest budget blowout since World War II. Talk about the things driving the market right now. And when I say driving the market, I really mean speculators doing crazy things. We'll talk about two big, kind of in-the-news, high-profile high, high profile tech stocks doing very, very well this week. And, as always, mate, we'll dip into the very full, very, very full, full mailbag. What do you reckon? I reckon we should start because the mailbag is full. <laughs> Let's get on with it then. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, mate. It has been a big week of news. Although not much has happened. It, it, it's it's funny, the last couple of months have been really strange. The The corporate news seems to have faded almost entirely into the background, partly because there's not much actually going on, and what, what is going on is so uncertain that no one really knows what to say about it. So predictions and guidance and results have been few and far between. Now, we are almost at the end, or at the beginning, sorry, of earnings season. The last day of this month will be the beginning of earnings season. It'll start from there. August will be a busy, busy month. In the meantime, though, it's really been the big macro stuff and the really big things that are seemingly pushing the market around. Let's start with earlier this week. We'll get to today. So, recordings recording on Thursday, as I like to say. We try and date stamp these things just to give our listeners some context. The big announcement earlier this week, I have to say, on one hand, shouldn't have been a shock to the market. On the other hand, pretty welcome news that JobKeeper and Job Seeker, though reduced, will actually be extended possibly as far as March next year. Originally due to expire entirely in September, the so-called... What are they called the something cliff? What was the, what was the word being used? Um, September cliff? Or yeah, what? whatever they called it. Mm. So, you know, the, the fifteen hundred dollars the, the the job seeker that was doubled the original New Start payment, those things were going to stop dead <laughs> at the end of September, which really would have been a horrible, horrible thing for the market. I think, although I'll ask you to give your thoughts, not just the market, by the way, the economy and the society. Um, the government said, look, we're going to continue them, but we're going to taper them, which I think is also the right thing. Now, the fifteen hundred dollars becomes, I think, is it $1,200? Mm. Um, people doing less than 12, uh, 20 hours a week, they get the biggest They get an immediate cut from fifteen hundred to seven fifty, and then it goes down again. I think in January for another three months. So tapering, I think, is smart. You don't want to you don't want any sort of cliff activity in the economy because it just creates distortions. Um, So I was pretty happy to see it, mate. I I wasn't surprised. I was a little bit relieved. I I didn't know how bloody minded the government would be on this one. I have to say they've been pretty clear. Now I thought they were jawboning. I'd hoped they were jawboning. It turns out they were. Your thoughts, mate, on on the decisions, the changes, and where we sit now when it comes to job keeper and job seeker.
1: Yeah, I think it's a, overall. I, I think I I agree with the idea that you know cliff is a bad thing. It's bad. It, it's you know even if you, even if you forget about the economy, which you know the economy and the people are two very interrelated mm-hmm. concepts, right? Yeah. But if you th- if you think about the people, I think a cliff is a bad idea. I, I think if I had to say something about the proposal, what I guess what I think is missing is. There is a bit of a distortion that JobKeeper, by definition, is going to create, right. which is it's going to look like. So, for example, if the if the unemployment rate is say seven point five percent, yeah, so the actual unemployment rate is probably ten percent.
0: Right, right, exactly. Right, those people who are other, who otherwise would be out of jobs right now, but are technically employed because the government's yeah. paying the the dole by another name.
1: Yeah. So I, I think I would have thought that September was a good time to make that transition. So there, there are going to be jobs that are going to not exist, and I think in a way it's good for. Good for people, Mm. I guess, and overall for the economy to realize that those some some jobs are not going to exist. I'm not saying take away the payment. I would have actually moved, like I would have only kept JobKeeper alive for businesses that are generating some revenue.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, If they if if business is not back to generating revenue now. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah it's basically on life support it's going to be on further life support for a long time Mm. a lot of these businesses are actually not going to survive right and and in many ways it's good for those businesses to go out of business early than later (laughs) right right? because you know you might be accumulating others um, yeah so you know, you might be accumulating things like long service leave, for example, that you have to pass So you'll, you'll mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right, you will be accumulating liabilities that you 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 keep. Basically, you're racking up liabilities if you're not going to get to the other side of the fence. I would have been happy, actually, for that money to be moved to Job Seeker. Yeah. Okay. Right. Because then you're basically saying, well, you know, this job does not exist, but right. we, as a government, as a society, are happy to give this. That's support, a that's a cool idea. Actually, I hadn't
0: right? thought about that way. Well, yeah. So you you don't change what the people get. You just no. you stop. You stop the you stop the pretense of there's really a job left there. Exactly. Right.
1: I, in fact, I'd, I'd say you know, I would have you know been happy with the number of 1500 for example, being there for job yep. seeker yep. because you basically what you're giving people is more longer runway yeah. to find the new job instead of having them st- stick around with a job that is not going to exist eventually yeah. right So you, you basically I would, I would try to address the inertia problem. Yeah, no, uh, like that, that currently exists yeah, yeah so I think from a government's point of view I think it's called I, I call this fudging of numbers yeah right, right? Uh, no government wants to say that my unemployment <laughs> rate is like I've got a million people unemployed yeah, yeah. even if it's not the fault of the government right yeah, I yeah. totally get it. it's not yeah. the fault of the government yeah. but you know the Which reality is <laughs> the reality is you've got un, in a million plus yeah. people unemployed yeah, yeah, yeah and you're just faking the number using this method yeah. and I'm just calling out that it's, it's, it's a type of faking and um, yeah, that's a huge idea. yeah so that's that's really my thought but like I like I, I think the I, I think the, the cliff need not exist yeah um,
0: it's the right do you agree that's the right thing to, to, to It is actually. Taper it?
1: yeah tapering is okay yeah, I'm not even like I, I would say that you know you need to taper maybe you need to give support mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. If it's a job seeker support, I think you need to give that support mm-hmm. to people. Maybe you need to create schemes for training people. For you know, mm-hmm. If somebody has a certain type of job that is not going to exist, well, you, you probably help them by training them into doing something else, mm-hmm. right? Makes sense, yeah. Uh, most people want to go back to work. It's yeah. just that if, if, you know. So I think, you know, I, I, I'm just, the only thing I have is just the inertia
0: and I would try to address the inertia. I like that idea. Have you ever talked about universal basic income on the podcast before? I can't remember if we have. Well, I think we have talked about this a you mentioned bit. it yesterday in a, in a very different context, mm. actually, in regards to tax, which I thought was fascinating. But I got to say, uh, maybe we have done this before, but it really does strike me that it would have made a lot of sense for us to think about at least trialing a universal basic for exactly the reasons you say. If you're going to get 1,500 bucks, no matter what you're doing, whether you're working or not, whether you're looking for a job or not, t- just taking the, taking the whole kind of job linked part of this away and letting people, as you say, move more freely. Because the thing is, if you leave a job now, and you go to another job you don't get the job keeper. So it's not only is it stopping people from you know living business going to die, but it stops just the general mobility of labor because who's going to leave a job now if, if you're being supported at least you know there's that fallback, right? Your current employer is getting 1500 bucks to keep you there. If I leave the Motley Fool tomorrow, we're not getting job keeper by the way, but if we if I left Motley Fool tomorrow went and worked for, you know, scottstockpicking.com um and then something happened, there the economy got worse. My new employer would have absolutely zero is zero payment to keep me on the book. So it, it not only does it stop businesses that otherwise will die, die and leave people starting to move on, but it also means that it, just those general movement of, of labor, which is a sensible, desirable thing in, in almost all other circumstances, also grinds to a halt because people are too scared and businesses are too scared to do anything different, given the lack of that payment.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, uh... So I'm not a fan of universal basic income. Right. Okay. Without a structural change to tax laws, okay. as I've said, as I said yesterday, basically, um, if I was the treasurer, which I'm not, <laughs> I would uh, actually not tax income at all. Okay. Yeah. You know, my my, I would say the income. This is a a tangent that,
0: on a tangent. I like
1: it. The income would be tax free. The you know there's a. You know what? The, one of the popular, and if you see around the world, and, uh, and it's it's based on this sort of the worldview that if you see around the world, there's this, there's this. Us versus them debate. There's mm, this debate mm, that you know those people are, who are investors and have, yeah. uh, you know, crazy ways of hiding uh, their cash, <laughs> right. uh, but they're they're spending plenty and they have all these things that other people can't yeah. have,
0: yeah. right? So you spend millions of dollars trying to save tens of millions of dollars in, in tax, right?
1: Oh, and, and 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 in fact, there are people who would have millions of dollars of, of say wealth, yeah, or billions of wealth, but yeah. actually not paying yeah. any tax. Yeah, right. So, um, now now it's, it gets to the fussy zone but I would, you know my 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 mm. very simple mm. logic is you should tax consumption so i'd basically tax everything from on a consumption point of view you want to buy a house mm. you get taxed mm. for buying a house you want to mm. buy a fancy uh, you know boat you get taxed for that uh, i would not tax income mm. and i would not tax anything else basically i would say that everything flows through via consumption and if everything flows through via consumption then you can add this UBI component as well because I mean ultimately the UBI is untaxed basically there's no need to file a tax form at all you would get you know, you, you
0: there's no tax to pay.
1: There's not. Well, there's tax to pay. It gets collected <laughs> right via GST-style model yeah, yeah, at yeah. the point of sale for yeah. everything. Yeah. Right. No tax exemption, maybe with the exception for maybe uh, healthcare. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, education, maybe. And education, maybe. Yeah. Those are the two things in which yeah, and it's very hard to fudge those things, right? If yeah, you're sick, you're right. sick. And if you want to study, <laughs> yeah, you want to study. Yeah, yeah. But there's no way to fudge anything. You know. Then, and then you yeah. can add a UBI component, and you know, uh, then you would not need a treasurer
0: anymore. <laughs> Well, someone's got to collect the GST. What about for overseas purchases? Does that, you know, at least if you pay income tax here, if you earn money here, you pay tax here. If I go and buy everything from Amazon in the US or from, I don't know, it doesn't matter where, eBay or Alipay or something else, couldn't I run my entire life by buying things offshore?
1: Yes, you can, but, I mean, uh, as, as we have seen, right, big overseas uh, players mm. uh, have come come around to basically collecting GST, right? I'm sure, right, like, you right. know, so Netflix collects GST. Yep. Amazon collects GST. I'm, I'm sure they'll be happy to collect whatever, say, you say 20% <laughs> or 25%. And I, I mean, I I would say that is actually a very small portion of large consumption, right? right if you right, want to right. tax people, yep. people make large, there would be people who'd buy a $20 million house, yep. right? Sure, we are collecting... We sta- you tax
0: housing as well.
1: Well, absolutely. Wow. Okay. Because somebody who's buying $20 million of housing yeah, yeah. can pay 20% tax on that.
0: That's interesting. Right? Where
1: somebody who's I don't have
0: $16 million left to buy the next house, though. I mean, it's kind of deflationary well, but, 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 but here's off. the
1: thing, right? The person who's buying a $20 million house yep. probably has reported zero income that year,
0: yeah, right? right yeah. They're
1: probably using <laughs> some other collateral <laughs> to buy that stuff. I'm just saying that you've got collateral, right. you just got to pay the tax.
0: What about for the average punter, for the first home buyers buying a $600,000 house? Should they pay 120 dollars more for that house because there's well, GST? it's GST?
1: You know, it's universal. You're not paying tax anything else, right? No, if no, you're no, earning no, money, no. you're not paying tax okay. anywhere else. Just the checking. only tax you would pay ever is on consumption. This is
0: the first time I've heard you say higher house prices are good, are good things. There you go. All house prices go up 20%. Well, effective price goes <laughs> up 20%. Maybe house prices go down. I, I don't know. But I mean, maybe they
1: do. yeah, I, mean, I think I'm just addressing one of the biggest complaints people have. Oh, that person is rich and they're yeah. not paying tax. Yeah. Warren Buffett is rich, is not paying tax. Yeah. Warren Buffett is consuming everything in the world. He's going to pay tax. Fair enough. I mean, everybody should do this.
0: We'll see. We'll see. I have a slight. I have a slight different view, but now's not the time or the place. But we will maybe talk about another day when we've got some more some more time. Let's start, let's move on though to keep stick with the macro, mate, and talk about what we don't yet know. But by the time this goes to air, everybody will know, which is the budget update being sent out by Josh Frydenberg, or delivered by Josh Friedenberg today. Um, I've seen some fantastically large ranges of potential outcomes here. The budget deficit originally, so the budget the budget balance originally was supposed to be a five billion dollar surplus. That was the government's original forecast. The numbers I've seen are deficits of anywhere between $83 billion and $110 billion. Now, these are phenomenally large numbers. It'll probably be the largest budget deficit since World War II, which is, I don't need to tell anybody, a long time ago, and frankly, very, very remarkable circumstances. Now, these are probably as remarkable, though we're well, certainly not at war, thank God. Um, so the biggest budget blowout <laughs> since then, but also a massive range. I mean... You know, normally we, the economists all gather in a number and it's going to be, you know, if, if the budget forecast is 5 billion, someone will say 3, someone will say 12, and that's kind of the range. A range that is A, 25% of the balance and B, has $27 billion per in the highest and lowest estimates. It just reminds me that we are in bizarre times and really no one's got a really good handle on this. I, I dare say whatever the numbers are, the real number actually when it comes in, because this is a forecast, remember, when it comes in, it'll probably be equally as you know, strange or different because man I mean this is such a moving feast what do you make of that mate are you worried by a hundred billion dollar deficit are you worried by the range of outcomes The any thoughts just on the sheer size and kind of reality we find ourselves in
1: the size doesn't surprise me I think I mean okay. you'd expect something large yes yes um, I, I think the question is like you know if there's a deficit what happens mm. uh, you know what are the repercussions of those deficits I think those are the right right uh, are the big questions I mean I uh, mean like this has been something that we had not seen before, right? This is, you know, this is different from all the other sort of crises we've seen in the past. Right. So, and there's been swift government action um, Mm. because of that. So, um, I don't know. I mean, if you think about, you know, on a worldwide scale, Mm. a lot of people have actually died, right? I mean, equivalent probably to, you know, a war, Mm. right? So, yeah, I know that you'd expect the economic impact mm-hmm, is also mm. like that, up to that impact. So it's neither here nor there. I mean, you know, the mm. government would have a budget hole. Eventually, the budget hole would get filled. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Is it something you worry about? The sheer, I mean, you know, necessary tick, yes. Uh, how do you feel, though, about the the business as it is or sorry the business is the country as it is um with that sort of debt that sort of deficit i mean d- do at some point we end up with a with a uh, some sort of just straight out risk to the economy to the to the society to something because numbers get just too large or, or is this manageable in your view
1: well, i think it's manageable i mean you know i don't know like i mean is is the debt too large in like if you compare globally or if you think about you know if you think in multi-decade terms yeah is it is it a hole that you're not going to get out of i don't know i think it seems okay to me i mean it's not nice but
0: yeah yeah you don't want to worry about i so i tend to agree with you the one the one concern i have i think a little bit is in the past the economy has inflated its way out of most of the debt if you think about the post-world war ii scenario we had phenomenal economic growth out of world war ii we had not massive inflation but high enough inflation that kind of took care of most of the interest bill um, to some degree in real terms you know the debt falls just because the economy grows in a scenario where this is you know there's, there's no obvious and fingers crossed maybe there is but there's no obvious reason to think we should see a boom at the end of this or that we're getting inflation back this might be you know with rates being so low and probably permanently or at least low for a very long time I worry this might be the you know the very worst time to have this sort of debt, right? When there's just no obvious way of of getting back in. I our feet the way we did post World War
1: II. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. I mean, are we going to get inflation back, and how fast is the economy going to grow? At the other side, mm, mm. those are question marks. I don't have a good. Uh, like I, I think the thing is that are we seeing any structural changes in the mm. being made? Are we seeing investments being made for structural changes, or is it? Um, are we doing more of the same? Right. I mean, mm. that's the question in my mind. Good point. And, and
0: What's you, what do you have? A, do you have a, a, a speculation as to how do you answer that question, or is it just a one for the for the watch pile?
1: Well, it's like right now I I don't have a sense because right now I have not seen anything being done mm-hmm. that is fundamentally different are we revisiting you know from from a structural point of view are we revisiting how we tax Mm -hmm. are we revisiting where we spend yeah right um so are we doing anything different in terms of spending Mm -hmm. um investments the answer is right now no are we revisiting the tax code are we thinking about how we um how we collect revenue as like how the we as in the government collects revenue Mm. the answer to that is also no yeah um at least thus far. So right right now it seems like status quo is on. Mm. That is problematic, I think. Okay. If the status quo changes, and the status quo can always change, right? Yeah, right. Um, then I think maybe it's not that problematic.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, uh, so let's I mean that's that's kind of the uh, just I guess let's wrap this bit up. I said at the beginning, there's been a lot of a lot of macro news. The, the last piece was the vaccine stuff. Now we saw the economy, the Australian markets, so jump on Tuesday by two point six percent, the largest jump in ages, I think, and the highest close in fourteen weeks or something remarkable. I mean, this is these are not small numbers. Now, in the US, by the way, the S and P is back in front for the year, which is even more remarkable when you think about where they are and frankly where we all are in terms of COVID. So, I'm not sure whether there's, there's a comment there or not. But, uh, but vaccine news, the job keeper news, I I am still, again, maybe not surprised because we are where we are, but. I think, I think we're seeing a really large amount of volatility, variability, speculation, call it what you want in the market. Um, every time there's possible good news, the market jumps in. The travel stocks were up. I think Webjet, so I own Webjet and I own corporate travel. Let's put that out very quickly. Um, Webjet, flights and a corporate travel all up between five and 9% on that, one, on that one day, right? And again, if this was the end of the bad news, I guess that would be justified, but there'll be another day when they're down by the same amounts. The market does seem... I find I find it very hard to believe these things are rational movements based on the new news in a in a six hour trading period. Your your thought on where the markets at, how we're getting through this, how investors, how our listeners should be thinking about investing in share price movements at the moment?
1: <clears throat> yeah, so that's that's a good re, re, really good and hard question. Um, so in terms of, Can I ask you, mate? <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, in, in terms of look look in terms of the market. I have almost, my basic assumption is that mm. the earnings this year are meaningless. Yeah, I right, I Probably the earnings part of next year also <laughs> meaningless. <laughs>
0: meaningless for valuations or just meaningless for operational. What do you mean by meaningless in your well, context? When I
1: say meaningless, I think, you know, from a valuation point of view, from a um, execution point of view, like, I mean, those numbers are not gonna tell you much.
0: Right.
1: I mean, if, like, so, like, I mean, what does, Okay, so you know, uh, let's let's say let's use flight center, right? If flight center's revenue is zero, Mm -hmm. what does it tell you? Nothing, Right, right, right? Right? It doesn't really tell you anything about execution because it all basically says that well. It says something about the business model yep. and and the area they're in, but it says nothing about execution and uh, nothing
0: about next year's earnings potential. And it is. says
1: nothing about really next year's earnings right, potential, right, which right. which really goes back to business potential, right? <laughs> in uh, or business execution, yeah, yeah. Uh, strategizing, yep. uh, positioning yourself, um, you know, for the other side. So mm-hmm. I think that is the problem. So what I think is important is to watch. I think what's important to watch is commentary. Um, oh, okay. So the commentary that people will have, yeah, and not just because everybody's going to have some positive spin <laughs> whenever they can right yeah i think what's what's important is to think about uh, industries at large so if right. if if i'm looking at webjet i would be contrasting say what they are saying with somebody like booking.com or Expedia, okay and largely because i would like to hear what the global context is and because in, in, well webjet is for example a smaller company but and it's got a large exposure to australia and new zealand but it's also a global company, right? right? So their context really cannot be that different from yeah. the larger competitors, right? So I would be listening to what the larger guys are saying mm-hmm. and then seeing what these guys are saying. And, you know, there's probably some line to be drawn there as mm-hmm. to, you know, who's saying what and trying to infer something if you're interested. I mean, that that's one way to think about, uh, at least the way I'm thinking about, you know, what's happening. The other thing that I think is happening is... Um, I think there has been an acceleration of what I call uh, digital transformation. Right. And what that basically means is IT spend that was going to happen over the next five years mm-hmm. or 10 years, mm-hmm. a lot of that has been pulled forward. Okay. Um, and that's going to benefit certain trends, mm-hmm. certain types of investments. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we're going to see those accelerate. So yeah. I'll, be, I'll keep basically keeping an eye on those. So I think it doesn't surprise me that certain sectors of the markets are, are behaving in certain ways and certain sectors of the markets are not behaving in certain ways. Mm. Irrespective mm. to the the and the, the daily churn with respect to uh, news, right? I mean, some of that is just pure speculation. Yeah. Um, well, most of that is part of pure <laughs> speculation.
0: Um, it, feel, it feels more speculative, maybe because things are more uncertain. The, the swings yeah. seem wilder than usual.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because the volatility is high. Volatility is high because uncertainty mm. is high, right? And you know, uh, and, and it happens that you know AstraZeneca with uh, with Cambridge University's drugs, they're saying, well, we got very really good data, mm. we are ready to start producing. The British government says, okay, I am ready to you know pay you this much for sixty million vials or something like that. Mm. And then people take that as okay, that's good news. And the same thing happens with Moderna in the U.S. Well, Moderna says something, and then the results are really good, and then people believe that you know we have <laughs> we have a cure. But what, what we really funny. have is we have got preliminary data yeah, yeah. that says the stuff. Uh, looks like it's working. And it's not just what I've said before here too, is that, as I have said, that it's not gonna be one, but there'll be multiple people. Mm -hmm. Um, So Pfizer, for example, is um, got a deal overnight? I think that with the U.S. government, where they're buying, in, they put in like one billion dollars or whatever with Pfizer and BioNTech, yeah. saying we're going to buy. So people, governments around the world, especially the governments which happen to um, be in a position to influence these companies, that because the companies are probably headquartered there. For example, uh, yep. AstraZeneca is a being a European company, um, Moderna and Pfizer being, you know, American headquarters They're in a position to influence via uh, via dollars. And so I think overall, it helps. Um, the example uh, uh, I was using is um, um, AstraZeneca, for example, has struck a deal with uh, the Serum Institute in India um, to basically license any future drug production for the COVID, right? And, and the, okay. the licenses, for example, for 60 million vials or something like that is a huge number of vials um, per month. Half of which is to be exported. So I think. Okay. So I, I think. Uh, I, I think what's happening is we are seeing that multiple players are being able to are getting close to producing a vaccine. So market is becoming happier. Mm-hmm. Um, the the big question in my mind is what I what we don't know is um, you know you you give this vaccine and people have some protection against uh, COVID. How long does it last? That's I think yeah, what right. you get out of the final um the final phase three trials mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. you 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 know you right now we know safety and we know some extent that it works mm-hmm. efficacy we're getting good results from all of these guys and i think more you know that 17 or 18 of these different drugs being trialed yeah, okay. across you know um, different countries different regions i think uh, china Sinovac has one which is being trialed right now mm-hmm. in um, brazil right so I think that is probably playing the market right No Positive results are making market think that well, a cruise ship company, you know, a cruise company probably will be finally able to open its <laughs> cruise. Uh, maybe right. Disneyland is going to open again, right. or Disneyland is actually I'm open. open uh, exactly. Disneyland, exactly. Disneyland, Disneyland is open actually in various places. Okay, and in some places is not right. Um, so that, I think that's the optimism, right? <laughs>
0: um,
1: so, yeah. Do you okay. buy it? I'm not like okay, so I'm not buying. I'm not really a big consumer discretionary buyer, anyways. Exactly.
0: Sorry, I, I meant well Do you buy the? Do you buy the theory? Do you buy the idea that we're kind of getting closer to? Oh yeah, I I,
1: I I buy the. Th- yeah, I think we're getting. I really think by next year, but okay. early next year, there will be multiple vaccines out there. Okay. Right, and it'll be effective. To I I also think it's going to be effective to some extent. To what extent? I don't know. But I think if to some extent. Okay. Which is probably good enough. Like I mean, ultimately, you know, like people, we, we have not eradicated flu, right? And I'm yes, not saying this yes. is flu. We are probably not going to be eradicating COVID.
0: Yeah. But oh, gee, if,
1: okay. but if we have a vaccine mm-hmm. that kind of works, okay, to some extent, yep, 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 I think you people will learn to live with COVID, just like people have learned over the years to live with uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. with flu, right? You so it's going
0: to be an endemic issue.
1: I think. Well, that's what it, that that's my best guess. I don't have.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Um. I don't think it's going to go away given how prevalent it is, how widespread it is, given how it, it it's been able to come back, given how it spreads, given how yeah, right. asymptomatic spreaders exist, given how like you know th- there's this beautiful article on on AFR from you know New South Wales uh, mm-hmm. health that's mm-hmm. saying that 2% of the New South Wales population is probably infected with with covid. Right. That's a huge number and they've done some yep. brilliant uh, analysis there to say you know if, if that's the number you just can't get rid of this thing
0: yeah right yeah.
1: it's just not gonna go away because you know somebody might be asymptomatic and been carrying it so mm. um, the vaccine I think will really help is is what okay. so I think hopefully next year it's going to look much better
0: nice I like the optimism man hopefully I hope you're right put it that way <laughs> um, it, let, let's let's kind of wrap up the the macro I I was as I said I kind of alluded to it before oh, there's not a lot there's, there's so much there's so much news so much news flow so much noise i think it's probably fair to fair to say um how are you how are you making your way through as an investor making your way through the noise how, how are you thinking about how to best deal with your investing with your portfolio with your stock recommendation your stock picks um different the same uh more worried less worried more optimistic less optimistic uh changing the way you prioritize or, or value certain inputs is there anything changing Are you doing anything differently at the moment um so a few things at a
1: higher level I think one of the things I was I was last year around this time probably I was thinking that maybe rates are going to go up right that changes sort of how we think about valuation yeah, and okay. investment and so on and I think that rates are not going to go up mm. <laughs> for a while <laughs> so that changes how again you, yeah. you sort of uh, pursue valuations so I think that, you know you could be a little you could offer, you could for very high growth companies mm. be uh, mm. be more lenient
0: with, oh, okay, with,
1: with how it's, but it's only really uh, in, in my view this really only applies to where there's growth solid growth yeah, right. yep, yep, um, yep. that's number one the number okay. two thing is you know I mostly invest in sort of tech uh, technology yep. a lot of software yep. sort of things I think those things are getting a tailwind I mean there mm-hmm. was a tailwind for them anyways but I think that that digital transformation that um, those those ideas Mm -hmm. are going to get a real big push Mm. and so that has meaningful impact i think and again Mm -hmm. how you think about growth rates i mean a lot of these even the smaller ones bigger Mm -hmm. ones are reporting uh really good numbers out of even during covid which is um which is very interesting Mm -hmm. i think uh, growth numbers in 30 40 percent revenue growth for example is you know for a lot of companies some some are even reporting higher numbers than that and those those are just phenomenal Right. So, if you're an internet company, if you're a software company providing something to the internet, if you're an application company, I think those companies are really doing well. Um, so that's something again to watch. And you want to watch for overvaluation and things like that, and you know total market opportunities mm-hmm. relative to that. But I think that's that's uh, something. What else am I thinking about? Um, those, those are. I'm, I'm still. I'm not. I'm staying away from. Sort of this discretionary spending okay. uh, areas. I think one interesting area to think about again. I've not done a whole whole heap of thinking, but I think what's going to happen to commercial real estate mm. going forward? Um, that is an interesting question, and all these models around you know renting offices, you know, uh, that's sort of the We Work style uh, model. What's going to happen to that? I think mm-hmm. is right. So I think commercial real estate <coughs> um, offices, malls. I think are gonna be under pressure for a long time is is my guess. Um, yeah. So those are sort of largely sort of three themes I'm thinking of. What about you? That's all right.
0: I I've really had a uh, I've, I've looked through, from the very beginning, I've looked through this, tried to look at next year, and your point about this year's earnings being useless, I think that's what I've kind of tried to internalise and, and think about with my investing, right? So when I think about valuation, you're you're a higher growth investor, as our listeners well know than I am. Um, when I'm thinking about my investing, I'm thinking about the underlying earnings power of a business. And if there's one phrase that I want our members or listeners to take away is underlying earnings power. Now, that feels a bit jargony, but what it really means is if you think about any business and you think about that, whether it's a software company the doc talked about, whether it's a consumer company, look through the, the short term and work out, you know, when things get back to normal, because they will, I mean, you have to have that view, but I, I do and I think it's a, I think it'd be a remarkably gutsy view to believe things wouldn't go back to some sort of normal at some point, right? So if, if you have that view, and I think you should, then I'm looking forward and say, okay, let's say uh, I'll pick Woolies just because it's easy because none of us recommend it or own it. But, you know, what what are Woolies' profits going to look like in 2021? Just pick a pick a year, right? Now maybe it's 2022 because things take long to get back to normal, but just conceptually, what's it what's a normal year look like? Once you've done that, you can work out then what a fair price is, or at least, you know, roughly a fair price. We're not we're not um we're not big on specifics here in terms of trying to be, you know, decimal places and stuff. Broadly speaking, what does that look like? And so you think about that that long-term potential, that long-term future, and say, right, Woolies is going to sell X cans of baked beans, X bottles of Coke, X tubs of ice cream, you know, for, forever. And so you can reasonably say that the short-term, now in Woolies' case, I think, frankly, sales will be lower in the future than they were this year because we all we all hoarded toilet paper. Um, well, not all of us, but some of us, including some of our team. We've all made nameless stock. It wasn't you and it wasn't me. Uh, you know who you are if you're listening. Um, the, uh, the you know, the, the, So there's that reality. Similarly, with businesses that, that have a terrible year this year, If those businesses are structurally broken, so some will go broke. Some will be structurally impaired for the very, very long term. Most will go back to some sort of normalcy once business life returns to normal. If I'm being offered a great price for that because people are over-emphasizing the short term in their valuations, then great. I'm I'm more than happy to grab that, right? If you tell me I can buy a house for half price but i gotta wait till next year to get it, I'll do that. No worries at all. Um, And the same for me with shares. So if I've got a... If I can buy something cheap today, but I've got to wait till next year or the year after to see that value rec- recognised, then sure, why, you know, why would I care? I might be able to wait a couple of, couple of years. It's no big deal at all. So that, that's broadly my approach, mate, I have to say. I want to echo your point about tech spending being brought forward. Um, the CEO of Shopify, Toby Lukey's talked about putting the 2030 plans in place this year. So everything being brought forward by a decade. And we have certainly seen that. We'll talk about a business in a second that's had exactly that experience. Now, some of that will be permanent. Some also, though, will be temporary. So we want to be a little bit careful that we don't you know, whatever bulge there is this year may actually fall next year. There was a whole lot of businesses, I mentioned the company now, Kogan, which I own. Um, we'll talk about in the sec doc in their, in their results, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if Kogan's sales fall next year relative to this year. You know, their sales are up 100% in March, April and May. <coughs> excuse, me. Um, <coughs> excuse me, sorry guys. I think over time, you know, is it possible that simply some of that is just because people could go to JB Hi-Fi or Harvey Norman or whatever furniture shop or whatever, you know, online shop? Possibly, yes. So if, if sales fall 20% next year in the month of April versus this April, not super concerned about that, not super surprised. Now, I hope it doesn't happen. I'd love it not to happen. But even if it does, that means they're still up 80% on, on 2019 levels, right? So that's that's the important number. And that's why you want to look through the whole thing. Don't get too excited by the good stuff. Don't get too despondent about the bad stuff. Make sure you understand the long-term trajectory of the company. Take this, take these you know, weird years of 2020 and maybe even 2021 in terms of the year on year changes, take those out. Almost almost, you know, think about think about a graph, right? You got the years along the bottom. You know, there's a straight line between, or you know, roughly straight line between say 2015 and 2025. These two years will be a weird you know aberration. Take them out. Just, Just draw a line of fit between 2018 and 2022 or whatever numbers you want to, and then look at a business that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mate, so I've already given away the lead, two big bits of news this week from two companies that we're familiar with, one I own, one you own. Uh, and certainly our listeners are very well aware of them for the conversation we've had in the past. I, they, Were they both st- five stocks for 2020, mate? I can't remember if, if the second company we're going to talk about made it, that list. Did you include it? I can't remember. I had picked both. There you go. You so, only picked one of them. I did. Let's talk about the local one first. And then I think I, I imagine our listeners can possibly, if you're, if you're a medium-term, long-term listener, you can probably guess what might be coming. But let's, uh, let's go to the first one first. So I mentioned Kogan, mate. Um, these the share price was kind of a bit muted on the news and frankly because the shares have run up massively over the last couple of months but really 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 triple digit growth almost across the board in sales profit adjusted profit whatever kind of metric you want to use your is this i don't put words in your mouth is this the the trend playing out you talked about earlier of the change in business because of COVID? are these the ones that are benefiting or is this a one-off kind of you know splurge because we're all at home we're all jumping shopping online
1: yeah, so I think well, it's a little bit of both, right? Um, so I think in the case of Kogan
0: you,
1: some of the spending is basically forced, right? I mean, yeah. if you if you want to if you want <laughs> right. to if you're told you can't leave your home yeah. but you need to buy toilet paper. Yeah, yeah. It's easy to buy it from Kogan. Right. No, I'm sure you can buy it from Amazon too. Uh, again, a stock that you know, both you and I own. Yeah, yeah. But it's that it's, it's that that effect is there. There is though this effect of a lot of. I think one of the things that we can't discount is there will be a lot of people who mm. were resistant to the idea of buying stuff online. Mm. Who must have bought stuff online? Yeah, yeah. So there's that transfer. There's that you know you people call it different things. You know, inflection point or that that point that you know gives it a shift, move upwards, makes brings it more mainstream. There were some people who were buying online, some who were not. But those some of those people who were not have now made multiple purchases yeah. online. Yeah. Uh, and and that is I think significant. So there are some new customers that have been added. Many of them will remain. Right. So some of that shift is permanent, right? Of course, I like you, I don't think that people by nature are designed to to not go anywhere, just sit in front of your yeah, TVs and yeah, watch TV yeah, and yep. order stuff online. I mean, yes, we order stuff impulsively, but mm-hmm. it's also like going out and, you know, I like wandering around Colts or Woolies and just <laughs> seeing what's there, yeah, right? right. right? Yeah, it, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just that thing. Um, so I think that will happen. To, uh, so... I wouldn't be surprised if Kogan said next year sales are yeah. not up or down even.
0: Yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? You can't grow sales at one hundred and twenty percent in a month year on year. Yeah, given such an, I mean, you can, but given such an extraordinary push, it makes sense that you almost expect some people won't. You know, it's not so many things you buy from Kogan, by the way. Too, if you yeah. bought a TV and a fridge like this year, you're probably not going to do it next year, are you?
1: Yeah. So I think you know that that, that is um, that is something mm. to. Uh, yeah, so it's – I think – Yeah, it makes sense. I, I think it makes sense. Now, I, I will yeah. say,
0: you know, just to full disclosure, I own shares in Kogan. Um, and we did recommend it to our listeners – was it both years? This year and last year, it might have been, I think. Um, Hopefully, our, our listeners have made some money out of that.
1: i looking at the 2020 20, – uh, No, so 2020, you didn't. Even I didn't. There you go. That was not a good idea.
0: No, 2019.
1: With 2019, we did. We both Good. both said yes. Uh, what was three, the price? Three dollars and thirty-two cents. There you go. That's it's right, up. We've done okay. It's up four hundred and twenty percent.
0: That's a lot. Not bad. <laughs> All right, let's not give ourselves too many pats on the back. Uh, let's move to another company that uh, I like. Probably to
1: pat on the back is is nobody else is patting my back. <laughs> I might as well pat <laughs> my back. <laughs> I guess I suppose we, want, we don't
0: want to come across as uh, mm. we, we make some mistakes. Put it that way. So hopefully more winners than losers. But uh, yeah, we're we're pretty happy when things go well. We're glad glad our listeners who followed us. Mm. Have done well. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies.
1: Sign up for the newsletter at
0: fool.com.au forward slash triple M. You might have mentioned this company once or twice before, a little a little um little automotive manufacturer in, in California. Um, the name escapes me. It's um, uh, yeah, Tusk. Yeah,
1: it's a small company. Something like that. Really small company.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah here's, actually, this is something that I didn't think would be true. Go on. But it is true. Go on. So, um, you know, pick this small company, um, Kogan. <laughs> yep. It shares it up actually from that particular date that we picked it 419.6%. Awesome. Nice. We'll take that. We picked this other automotive company. It shares it up only four hundred and one percent.
0: Okay, so, so not not as well. Just not
1: as well as I would as well. not have thought that would be the case, <laughs> but that is the case.
0: Um, so two 400 percent gainers. That's a pretty good, pretty good result. Yeah. Let, let me put let me put some of our newer listeners, or maybe our listeners haven't been paying attention, out of their miseries. The company we're talking about, of course, is Tesla, the electronic vehicle manufacturer and energy company helmed by Elon Musk, the ever quotable, ever watchable, ever uh, <laughs> writable, aboutable. Can I say that? That's probably for that. I just did. Um, great results. Overnight, so again, Thursday morning, we're recording this. Um, Shares are up 4% after market, so the market liked it. Some of the highlights, mate, have you got some some quick thoughts on on how well Tesla's doing, maybe some some observations?
1: Well, well, you know, more than the 4%, I think what is really crazy is the shares are up 7x from last year. That's a lot. That's a lot in one year. (laughs) So... Yeah, the highlights. I think well, everybody was. was I, I mean, they had really good results in a in a sort of pandemic environment. It, it's yeah. really important because the factory was shut down for six six weeks right. of this quarter. Um, they had um, a free cash flow of four hundred twenty uh, million dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you near know, four hundred eighteen. Uh, Elon Musk would have loved it to be four hundred twenty. <laughs> yes, um, but it landed up being only four hundred eighteen. How unfortunate for him. Four hundred eighty million dollars of free cash flow in one quarter. That's mm-hmm. something. Um, cash balance was up by five hundred thirty million dollars to um, to about eight point six billion. Right. Um, they have announced their next gigafactory is going to be in Texas. Uh, they're building a gigafactory. Mm-hmm. So, gigafactories are factories where they manufacture their batteries and their cars. so you know, okay. they're building one in Berlin um, and one in and they're building a second one mm-hmm. in China uh, as well. So, three okay. gigafactories in parallel this is the first time that's going to happen um Impressive. yeah and you know but profitable it, this was the fourth consecutive quarter of a of gap profitability i don't pay too much attention to the gap profitability How, how's
0: it with gap mate for those who aren't familiar with the us accounting
1: yeah, so, so this is basically generally accepted accounting principles. G-A-A-P, GAP. correct. Yeah, yeah, so this is this is the equivalent, I guess, of the statutory profit that one might report. So using
0: a- using all the accounting mm-hmm. rules, yeah. which, which they have to do, right, by definition, so that's yeah. why they have them. Uh, we have IFRS, which is International Financial Reporting Standards. Lucky I got that out. Yeah. Um, and, and so when, when companies do their numbers, they have to adhere to certain rules. And so they have in the US GAAP or here, IFRS, you may see A-IFRS, which is the Australian version of it. But often those numbers, and we're going to be a little bit careful here, right? Often those numbers management claim aren't aren't accurate and sometimes they're trying to hoodwink us. um, Adjust management earnings, adjusted earnings, underlying earnings. Sometimes it's just an excuse to try and divert attention from the real numbers. Other times though, there there are some adjustments worth making at least to think about the actual... Proper operating performance of the business, and in Tesla's case, you're saying the gap is not as useful.
1: Yeah, it's not very useful. I, I mean, I look at the operating, um, I look at the operating income, which basically we know right. is the beta number that people say. And I look at the non-GAAP EPS. Okay. Um, you know, the operating income was 1.2 billion dollars mm-hmm. for this quarter, which is like at a 20% margin, which is very, very good. Right. Um, that's up from a 9% margin the year ago. So mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the business is scaling. Um, you know, clearly. There's been a paradigm shift, you know, like people now probably would agree that there's going to be EVs and, you know, if, there's, mm-hmm. if you think about EVs, then the, the EV leader is Tesla. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's no longer about, you know, those competition, the, it's, I think the story used to be last year, competition is coming mm-hmm. and coming mm-hmm. and then coming, but competition has been mm-hmm. coming for 20 years and they have not arrived.
0: Well, there's a, a company called Nikola, which is a hydrogen business that's, Valued at some squillion numbers of sales and because there's no the, sales,
1: but have not produced
0: a single <laughs> thing. But, but you know, I so think they're uh, still coming. Yeah, but it's still. I mean, it's a twenty billion dollar company
1: <laughs> with no sales, right? Right, right. Uh, oh, no product really. Maybe a prototype. Yeah, yeah right. But but you know, like maybe Nikola has something. I don't know much about Nikola <laughs> too and about that technology to actually right, have okay. any meaningful comment. But yeah, I think the story now is that there is going to be. EVs. EVs are going to be the mainstream vehicles. Right. Uh, a lot of governments have incentives now in place that they want to phase out um, internal combustion engine mm-hmm. cars. Mm-hmm. And, and therefore, the, the question really is about the internal combustion engine manufacturers losing market share right. to EVs. Right. And new EVs coming are not really com- competition for Tesla. They're competition for themselves. Right. So if Nissan releases an EV, it's competing with Nissan, right. not with Tesla. Right. Right. Uh, in, in, in another way to think about this is that, and this is something that's very interesting. I find this very interesting. This is when a, a market is disrupted mm-hmm. with different things, and this the equivalent might be you know when when you release an, a smartphone that yep. is taking over the the not so smartphone market, okay. right? So the BlackBerry
0: taking over from Nokia, the Apple taking over from BlackBerry, that yeah, kind of
1: that's what, that's kind of thing. But so the market is huge, mm-hmm. and you can think that the other guy can compete to you, but you can right. also think that if if you have a small if you have the leader mm-hmm. in the technology that's going to be the future. Yeah. And you have a large share of that market, mm-hmm. even if your share over time decreases, yeah. remember the market is huge. Right, right. right? Yes, yes. So, so you if, if
0: Tesla's share of EVs falls, but the total EV pie grows, Tesla's still going to do very well.
1: Yeah. So, right. like, I mean, the, the total EV, if the total pile is 80 million cars and Tesla right. has 20% of that, Tesla will be probably the most profitable company on the planet. Right. Right. So um, so that's the way to think about it. And I think that's a lot of people have not been thinking about it, you know, and there have been other issues with the company, but I think people have not been thinking about that, you mm. know. And this is we're just talking about right now, if if we think about the narrative, narrative is, oh, the company is overpriced because it is priced, it is as an automotive company, it's priced like tech. Yeah, right. But when people say that, they forget that. This is a battery manufacturer. Mm, when I say mm, battery, mm. battery pack manufacturer. It's mm. a company that has an auto bidder program which is how it bids for energy. Right. Um, the, it, it makes storage at grid scale. Mm-hmm. It makes solar... Roofs. It makes solar tiles. It makes solar, you know, installation things. It has a self-driving automation um, unit. Yep. It, it does all of these different things yep. that you, you know, you're not, you're not valuing when you think of it as just an auto man, auto manufacturer, right? Yeah, right? Right, right. So I, I mean, you know, I think I think those, you know, again, I like the sort of very disruptive companies mm-hmm. that create new markets you know this is one company that's creating maybe multiple markets mm. so fascinating company to follow very volatile one to
0: own but profitable you've done very well
1: yeah I've done very well it's, it's my largest holding I, as I've said before I've, I've advocated for this mm. company. one of the things I find frustrating with this company is that advocating Tesla always has resulted in people fighting
0: <laughs> or coming back to bite <laughs> and
1: at, there was a point where I basically said Fine. You don't want to make some money? Mm. That's fine. That's your problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so I bought a lot of shares when the shares were down last year. So this nice. turned out to be my large holding by a mile. Now it worries me when it goes down <laughs> a few percentage points this way or that way. Um, right, right. But
0: yeah. yeah it has an outsized impact on you. On yeah, it has an outs- right?
1: outsized impact on the portfolio. But nice, I mean, nice. yeah, like I,
0: I think. First class problem to have just quietly. Yeah, it's, a, it's a first class problem to have in many ways.
1: And you know, I just. I Keep holding it, you know, and I, th- I think, as I said, you know, if there's mm-hmm. a comp- company that's going to be, you know, I look at this as Amazon plus Apple put together right. in many different ways, right? Uh, right so,
0: Wait, just for those for those listening, I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to have a go back, but but let maybe ask you to do it. What would you, if you were, if you were telling people about Tesla as an investment, you kind of have. What's the biggest risk in your mind? Is it is it competition? Is it the retention of margins? Is it the size of the market? If, if you are, and again, you're you're strongly bullish. So I'm not asking you to to make an equal case here, but you know what what are the what are the one or two things you think? I love Tesla, but I'm worried about that. Yeah, you know, these are the things that could go wrong. These are the most likely things that could go wrong and maybe upset the thesis or having reconsidering owning the shares.
1: So, like a lot of things can go wrong. Like, I mean, I guess the biggest worry for this company. Mm was a situation like this the pandemic right yeah Right. Yeah. where you have basically a one and a right. half factor economic disruption right economic yeah economic okay. disruption
0: yeah
1: and i guess his way the way i look at it mm. if this pandemic had had hit mm. before the shanghai factory had come up right situa- the things could have been really different okay right, yeah, right. so i think there still are They've got single points of failure mm. in many different ways. they've They've got one factory in China yep. and uh, which they've been scaling rapidly, and then one factory in the u s okay. in California. So they've got a couple of, points yeah, right, of meaningful, failure, yeah, yeah, okay. meaningful points of failure. Yeah, okay. um, it is still a a goods manufacturer, right? right as a company, right. it's not software. It's not replicable. It has lots mm-hmm. of capital needs. Um, so those are the risks, I think you know it it needs to be able to raise capital so far it has had no problems raising capital but i mean it needs capital it has it's got product that it needs to sell it needs to produce it it's not like software so it's h- much higher risk um than you know a traditional you know high pe software investment because you know you could just duplicate the software you eat copy and you can copy and you can already you know, run it on the cloud and anybody can access it right so it's, yeah. it's that there's a fundamental product risk here um, it's also got a lot of key man risk with it. So mm-hmm. uh, I think. Yes. Um, Is that the single biggest risk? I
0: mean, it's no, always I, I, don't, I don't
1: think that's, All right. you know, I okay. don't think it's, it's got, I think a company like Tesla over the last 20, you know, 15, mm-hmm. 18 years yeah. has hired basically the best talent okay. in every, uh, if you, if you want to work on computer vision and self-driving, mm. if you're not working at Tesla, you're not good. Yeah, right. you're just not good, right? That's why you're not working. Does it Tesla. happen
0: though without the the sheer force of nature? That's Elon. I mean, there there are smart people in all sorts of industries that don't necessarily go anywhere. I, I would, and look, I'm I'm not a massive Elon fan. You, you know, I've got some concerns with him generally, but I'm not gonna. No, it's not about that. But, but I also absolutely recognize that, well, I believe without Elon, it wouldn't have got to here. And I'm not even sure personally whether it's self-sustaining without him. Just sh- the, the, the stuff he adds, the, the magic dust he sprinkles on the business takes it from a very, very impressive, high quality, super capable group of people through to a world-beating car company. Like I think there's still a gap there, which is entrepreneurship in some form.
1: Though, um, the reason I'm saying that over time, I think what happens is good leaders mm. create other people in the company yeah. They might not be visible to us today, right? right. So, uh, you know, who is the the chief operating officer equivalent, yeah, for right. example? It right, may right. not be o- obvious. Maybe as a leader, he shields. So,
0: who, the who is who is, who is uh, his, his Tim Cook to Steve? Yeah, Jones, who's,
1: who's who's But 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 Steve Jobs had died in two thousand eleven or yeah. two thousand twelve. Yeah. Right. It didn't mean that you know Apple failed. Right, Apple has right. done fantastically well. Tim Cook has taken yep. Apple in in a fantastic different direction, right? He's right. grown the company in brilliant ways. And as I said, you know, he's our most underrated CEO. You disagree, but I would say he's our most. No, underrated no, no. CEO. no I, just, I just but, go but, go underrated. But the deep, <laughs> the deep bench. Yep. A good CEO will create a deep bench. It might yep. not be obvious yep. immediately, but I think a good CEO creates a deep bench. And I think really, like, you know. So uh, if, if, Elon must,
0: dropped, if Elon if Elon jumped on a rocket to Mars today you wouldn't reconsider owning your sh- holding your shares at the current price no because i, I really okay, think cool.
1: for example like you know people like andre karpathy they're the mm. best mm. there is no other andre karpathy in the world when it comes to like you know with the director of ai for example right, okay. right? Um, their ability to attract the best talent if you want to do evs mm-hmm. if you want to do batteries if you want to do you know um, if you want to really change the world yeah, yeah. that's where you're working fascinating right so i i think that is their biggest asset, right? Mm. Yes, mm. I think Elon being there is is the magnet that is pulling people in. But right. you know, and maybe the company slows down the the, yeah. the pace of innovation that they've got. Yeah, right. um, uh, okay. But I okay. think they're beyond that point where right, right, they're right. permanently impaired because Elon leaves. Uh, it, mm. They're at that point mm. where you know, like yeah. where Apple was yeah, in right, many right. ways. That you know, they're they're beyond. They've got now critical products out there that, mm. in a way. They have de risks themselves to that extent. Yeah, they're
0: now, they're now at a point where they can go self-sustaining in, in yeah. different ways. Yeah, yeah, nice. Mate, let's let's uh, let's move on. It's time for a couple of questions. We've 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 taken a bit of time chatting about that. I hope our listeners have enjoyed. I've certainly enjoyed the conversation. Um, let's though go to the mailbag because we've got lots of great questions from lots of great fools. The first one, mate comes from Sharon. We always love our female listeners, we love our female questioners. As I've said, we don't love you any more than the blokes, but we love hearing from you because there are way too many way too few women in investing, so always love hearing from from our female listeners. Hi Scott and Doc, a question for the podcast please. I understand that if an online broker goes into administration for some reason, my stock holdings are safe and would be transferred to another broker. But what about the cash sitting in my trading account? Would it be returned dollar for dollar and how long could that process take? Thanks, Sharon. Do you okay, yeah.
1: So I think it's in the e- a relatively easy one. If the mm-hmm. cash is held, um, so typically most brokers would be required to hold the cash in a uh, an authorized deposit-taking institution, mm-hmm. right, in a trust account. Yep. So the cash is, in theory untouched <laughs> um yes. and, 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 and theory, in theory in most cases actually it's untouched they're not yeah. really able to use it um, you know other than maybe earn interest on it if they're not paying you the interest they're basically eating the interest so yeah, yeah i would say in, in 99.9% of the cases <laughs> y- your cash is is safe yeah uh,
0: sharon i have a slightly different concern on that one i don't know well enough um i so i use comsec and we're talking about uh we we'll about australian brokers here um, i think but maybe we'll talk about both so for australian brokers your cash doesn't normally sit with the broker in the same way so remember there's two types of brokers in australia there are chess sponsored brokers so most of the big guys and there are those that hold them in street name in other words um they hold the shares in their name but they kind of say well you own this portion of that holding um for the for the Comsec of the world, and again the similar ones, I have no we have no commercial relationship with Comsec. I just know it because I've used it for years. Um, the cash is actually held in a Commonwealth Bank account, as opposed to a Comsec account, if that makes sense. And so, and with most brokers, that's true. You have an investment account, which is with, as Doc said, an authorised deposit-taking institution, um, where the the, the the bank account is normally separate from the brokerage for all intents and purposes. Maybe the same business, maybe the same uh, structure, i.e., Comsec, same thing. But my my cash account is actually with the commonwealth bank not with comsec as an entity and so they would be treated differently in this case if comsec it won't happen But if it was to go broke or something my chest shares would be retained for me and the cash would sit in a commonwealth bank account which we treated differently now if the commonwealth bank goes broke then it comes down to which which accounts are government guaranteed and which aren't so be, be mindful of that um with the street name guys again bigger risk because they are supposed to hold it in, in trust for you. But again, we've seen other brokers go broke and take a lot of client money with them. For those brokers, I would be less confident and less documented, more more, more, uh, more strongly than I do. But I'd be, I would be concerned about using, having cash in an account with those brokers, where again, it was kind of in theory in your name and in theory held in trust. Um, but again, it wouldn't be the first time we've seen someone go broke. Opus Prime is the big one that people might remember. If you don't, feel free to Google that. Um, when they went broke, they sent a lot of people's money down the drain. So there are circumstances in which you won't get back the money maybe at all, or maybe in the same proportion and it could take a very, very long time. So as a general rule, unless it's a really good reason, I would always for Australian shares, use a chess sponsored broker and make sure my money was in a a bank account or account with a bank, maybe a related entity by all means, uh, but a a specific bank account. Is that fair, Doc? Yeah, I think that's fair. Any more thoughts on that one? No. Beautiful. Question from Emma. Hey, the girls are bringing it today. Pretty excited about that. Uh, Hello, Scott and Doc. Thank you so much for such a fun and informative podcast. Not sure which one she's listening to, but if it's ours, then that's good too. Uh, I love listening to you guys during my commute to work. I recently subscribed to both of your services. Thank you, Emma. Well, hopefully we're looking after you. Our lots of last couple of months have been okay, mate. So hopefully we are. Well, fingers crossed. Be diversified, Emma. To buy as many stocks as you can as quickly as possible. Well, I can't say you, Emma, to do that because I can't give personal advice. But anyone listening, hope it's Emma or anything else, uh, we always recommend. Great, join the services by all means, but um, try and try and grab a few recommendations from each at least, so you start to diversify your portfolio. All right. Actually, um, funnily enough, the question. I have two two questions. The first one is about how to use your services. There are monthly share recommendations, but also some shares on the scorecard. Would you recommend we buy the previous recommendation, recommendations on the scorecards as well? I'm worried a lot of them had already gone up so much in price, and I might have missed the boat. She's got a second question. Let's go with the first one first, Doc. Um, it's a bit inside baseball. I mean, our, our listeners hopefully are members anyway, so they should know this, and we'll get value from it. If not. What are you waiting for? Join us. Uh, But seriously, bear with us while we explain this one for Emma. So mate, how should Emma use extreme opportunities? Should she buy the buyers that are already on the scorecard even if they've gone up? Should she wait for the monthly best buyers now? Should she buy only the new recommendations? How do you suggest your members use your service?
1: Yeah so at a very high level we say that you know try to get to about 15 20 stocks as quickly as you can yep. that gives you some sort of diversification uh, you know so that's that's number one and then number two is that every month there's a recommendation there's a in, so one starting point and the probably the best starting point is you buy that and you do that for a while along with that we every month we also have what we call best buys now which basically looks at the scorecard and says well of all these stocks that we think are buys um, which is what she's referring to yep. These are three that you can look at for this month. Yep. And so that's, you know, so you get the recommendation plus, and, and the Best Buys now in our, in our case it includes the recommendation that we have made that meant plus two others. So it's effectively, you've got three ideas to choose from.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so you've got three ideas. Effectively, it's every month, every month you're getting three ideas to look at. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you look look at that for like six, seven months. You've got 18 ideas. Some of them are going to repetitions, of course. <laughs> but 18, 20 ideas that yep. you're looking at and that yep. should help you get to your, you know, 15 stocks that you want to own. So that's the way to do it. In our, our, our point of... Keeping a stock as a buy effectively is our way of saying that uh, the stock, looking at it today, mm-hmm. um, over, say, a five-year period, yep. is likely to beat the market. If we feel that it's true, then it's just a buy. Otherwise, we would move it back to hold. Right. Or if it's not, you know, if it, it's not really going to do, you are going to sell it. But that's how we. That's what we mean by a buy, hold, and sell. So
0: you have categories of or, or levels of best ideas, really. Anything a buy is is in theory, hopefully, market beating. So yeah. we think it's worth buying. But from time to time, the best buys now are the best of that list, and the monthly recommendation is the single one. If you're going to go one stock that month. Then that's the one to go for. Is that is that a reasonable summary? Yeah, that's summary?
1: that's, 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 that's a reasonable summary. We also have other things like you know we have we have a conviction ranking that we give. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know we, we have done we have we have ranked for example. At any given point in time, given the companies we have on our scorecard, Mm -hmm. we would say, okay, here are ten ideas from the scorecard that we really think we are very comfortable with. Um, They will not be best buys now in that sense, but they might be good starting points for various reasons for you if you are looking to round up your portfolio. You know, we think of these as 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 conviction, the high higher conviction ideas of the lot. Right. Um, And you know, yeah. So I think there are multiple ways in which you can go about building your portfolio but I think the key thing is that you know buy um by a number of them, mm. which gives you diversification, yep. buy them over a period of time. And, and I think the last point is important, which is why we leave companies on buys, right? And the in, in a classic example, take Kogan, for example, right? Kogan was $3 last year, mm-hmm. then it was $4, then it was $5 and $8, and maybe went back to like,
0: three. you know, three, <laughs> yep.
1: and then it's gone back to 17, right? right, but right. The, the whole point of this is that a good company should be creating value over time, yep. and you should be able to buy that good company over time mm-hmm. and add you know it's basically the idea of adding to your winners right so we typically keep companies that are doing well mm. as buyers um and on eo we would you know if the company is actually not doing well we'd be very quick to move it to hold and you know we, we would also sell if we think you know the thesis is not panning out mm-hmm. so um, so the, you know basically a buy means that the execution is working out and therefore you can you can look to buy over a period of time
0: Nice, like it. Uh, I would say the same for Share advisor. With one small addition, we have a list of starter stocks. So if you're a new member, we have five stocks we think you should buy and put in your portfolio as quickly as you possibly can. The ones that are not going to be necessarily the ones that shoot the lights out, but they're the ones that we think from a really, really great portfolio base. They are the typical share advisor companies, the businesses that we like, the businesses that we um, normally meet as many criteria for share advisor as we can. And that we think really give a, a very good, as I said, bedrock foundation for your portfolio. So if you're a new SA member, go to our new member center. Again, I know this is a bit inside baseball, sorry for those who aren't members. Um, go to the new member center and you'll find our list of starter stocks. Add to those the best buyers now and the monthly recommendations. And in a few months time, you can very quickly build a portfolio of 10 or 15 stocks as Doc said, which is a great way to start. My Emma's second question to wrap us up. My second question is about investing strategies. I have two trading accounts. One is my personal account, which I can put money in every month after I get paid. The other is an SMSF. Would you recommend I buy the shares Scott recommends using my SMSF and buy Doc's recommendations using my personal account? I'm in my mid thirties, so it's still a long time before I can use my super. Thank you very much. Regards, Emma. Now, I think Emma's saying, I'm boring and you're exciting, Doc. I think it's what she's actually saying. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You, you know, like, Emma, okay. I have
0: feelings. Emma, <laughs> come on.
1: So here's here's okay. So without uh, Emma, we can't tell you what you should do. Right. However, I'll, I'll throw something at you, which maybe boring. Uh, that's quite a bit boring, but that, that's different. <laughs> um, uh, here's another thing: is there any reason? Is there any specific reason to bucket, uh, treat the SMSF, for example, differently than mm. your personal account? Mm. Right. That's that's one question that you need to address. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Maybe you want to have different strategies. That is fine. You want to have a hyper growth strategy in one case, mm-hmm. and maybe steady growth in another one. But you know, if if I would just question if somebody's thirties and they've got you know another thirty years, forty years to invest, mm-hmm. that's a long, long period of time, right? Maybe you want to have a strategy that is focused on growth. And therefore, if if that strategy is focused on growth, then mm-hmm. the other thing I would say is that. I would not say that. She, I would not say that. You know, my picks are better than Scott's, or Scott's picks are better than mine. That's not. I think what you want to think about. What you want to think about is, you got an idea from Shared Advisor. You got mm. an idea from Extreme Opportunities. Maybe you got an idea from somewhere else. Right? They're all ideas. Mm. You could use all of them, I guess, to create your best portfolios in each of those buckets and you could even treat the entire bucket as one bucket like i mean Mm, the two mm, buckets mm. are actually one Mm. so that's that's one way to think about it if by all means you don't have different strategies then that's fine but i mean the alternative is to also think of them as a whole entity um like so to give a personal example i have got multiple accounts that i have but i do have one spreadsheet a single spreadsheet where i have you know the number of number of shares i own in different companies all put together consolidated Mm. and the reason i do that is it gives me a sense of my overall investments and know you know how i'm overweight in certain things or not um and it helps me decide Mm. you know what i want to do next so that's that's the only thing i would say is just think about your strategy maybe in aggregate versus thinking of them as two different things
0: Yep, I can't add much to that, Doc. I, I, the only thing I would say, you ask, I think it was largely rhetorical. You know, do, do they need to be different? Um, I agree with that question. I think the the only thing, and you've already alluded to the fact that it's possible, is Emma might be suggesting. So you're saying she's still a long time she can have, before she can access her super. I think she's thinking maybe she might want an account she can access before retirement, and so that that is the benefit of a, a, a an account in your personal name, which is there's no restriction on when you can take the cash out. <coughs> Excuse me, coffee again today. Um, so to some degree, if that's if anybody wants to have some money to take out, then it makes sense to have some separation between the accounts. That being said, I actually echo Doc's point that it doesn't necessarily need to be a different investing strategy in different accounts. You may you may find it easier to do that. You may find you want to have two buckets just let you help you think about your investing differently, or um, just think through you know how you might uh, use that money. But I have to say, from my personal perspective, um, I see no reason why they need to be different. In fact, my I have, I, so I got both a, a personal account and an MSF, and I think there's eighty percent, ninety percent of the stocks are overlapping. And the ones I, in my personal account, I think uh, there's a couple of different ones. One's a very old holding that I've never got around to selling, um, and it was done before I started investing SMSF. And the other one is one I bought with a couple of thousand dollars, as a bit of a, a bit of a, uh, a bit of a punt, which I very rarely do. Um, but again, that was just a it was just a function of where I ended up buying it. The, the rest of my portfolio was almost mirrored across the two. Now I could have had you know some in one and some in the other. It just so happens that I've you know when I've been investing, I've just bought I've had cash in both accounts, and so I bought shares in the same companies. Generally speaking, uh, so my spread is almost it's almost a mirrored between the two the two accounts.
1: And and sometimes you know Emma, you'll notice that you know we have uh, shares that we have recommended or companies that we have recommended that are actually across you know both. Hopefully she bought Cogan. Oh, hopefully she
0: bought Coca. That does us, mate. We're done. But before we wrap up, uh, should we make an announcement? No, I'm kidding. We will be back on Sunday with a special mailbag edition of the podcast because we have pages and pages and pages of your questions and we love answering them. So thank you for sending them in. Uh, I will give all the socials on Sunday. So if you think you've got a question in mind, maybe you already know the socials, maybe you don't, but tune in Sunday for the mailbag and for our contact details. But one thing I do want you to do is subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast. Do it through iTunes. Do it through your favorite Android podcast app or do it through Podcast One. Any or all of those will get you to the foolish goodness that we give you every week. And of course, if you do enjoy the foolish goodness, please feel free to tell us. We always like positive feedback, but also tell your friends. Tell the world at large. Put your mark. On the global stage, on one of the app stores, and let people know that you're enjoying the podcast. Give us some stars if you wouldn't mind. A couple of narks on there. It's one of those things. Always, so I find the narky comments they, they seem to hit more hard than the than the non narky comments. But the non ones are much more appreciated. So, if you want to give us some feedback, please feel free. Um, give us some stars. It helps other people find the podcast, as we've said before. And if you are enjoying it, we hope other people will as well. It's a free podcast. We do as a, as a bit of a public service. It's a bit of brand value in there, of course, for us. But largely we're doing it because we like doing it and uh, we hope other people will enjoy it as well. Now, lastly, speaking of extreme opportunities, if you want to join Doc's service, and you should, go to fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast. It is, I kid you not, what I think is the best value in the market right now, given the price, given the education, given the stock picks, given the great stuff the dog has to offer. Can you really afford not to join EO for like less than a cup of coffee a week, less than half a cup of coffee a week? It is just, I've got to talk to Bruce about the pricing, Doc it's very cheap way right. too cheap anyway I seriously. feel
1: cheap because of that
0: <laughs> well you are no, I, was good. I, I, I won't be rude I'm just feeling cheap I won't be rude Was <laughs> Warren Buffett say I don't wear cheap suits they just look cheap on me I think that's my that's my story I think anyway go to fool.com.au forward slash eo podcast and join Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities and get the best of Doc and Kevin and what they have to offer alright that wraps us up for this week's Motley Fool Money we'll be back on Sunday with another dose of Foolish Insight Fool on Fool on